find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Welcome to Bad Axe Podcast. I'm your host, Danielle Blinka. And I'm your co-host, Aaron. Bad Axe is brought to you by the Podmoth Media Network. Check out Podmoth for more great podcasts. As always, you can support the show and get months worth of visual content over at patreon.com backslash Pod. We actually have an entire year worth of bonus episodes over there at this point, so check those out. There is a link in our show notes and membership start at just $1. You can also support the show for free by leaving us a positive review, and by telling a friend about us. Now, on to today's case. Today, we are going to Austin, Texas in May 2017. Woot woot. This is our, like, fourth, I think, case in Austin. And just for those of you who maybe haven't listened to those, Austin is our state capital here in Texas. And it's a really cool place. The city motto is Keep Austin Weird. And so there's a whole funky vibe. There's a lot of hipster stuff going on over there. But there's really pretty much any type of person that you could find. So there's so many different things to see and experience. Lots of great nature. Lots of cool shops. Lots of great food. So it's got a whole little exciting vibe going on in Austin. On May 1st, 2017, the University of Texas freshman Rachel Pritchett was standing in line at the Cilantro food truck on the campus. The truck was parked near the Gregory Gym, where students can play recreational sports and the women's volleyball team practices. As she neared the order window, Rachel heard screaming. She turned and saw a man holding a large bowie knife that, in the moment, looked like a machete. For context, bowie knives usually have a blade that ranges in length from 5 inches to 12 inches, and they're designed for fighting. Based on pictures of this knife, it was a very, very long blade. The man with the knife was wearing khakis and a gray sweatshirt with a colorful bandana tied around his head. He walked calmly, approaching another student on campus. Rachel watched in horror as the man with the knife walked up to a man who was facing him, grabbed him by the shoulder, and plunged the knife into his back. Frightened, Rachel turned away from the scene and ran as fast as she could. As she ran, she saw another horrible sight. Sitting at a table near the food truck was a male student slumped over and bleeding from a stab wound to his head. Ouch. Let's back up a few minutes to the beginning of this incident when 21-year-old Kendricks White entered the common in front of the Gregory Gym and attacked fellow students. At around 1.45 p.m. on May 1st, White texted his mother, quote, Mommy, I love you too, unquote. Then he started his walk across the UT campus with the Bowie knife attached to his belt. According to witnesses, White approached Harrison Brown first. He actually kicked a female student out of the way as he targeted Brown. White stabbed Harrison with his Bowie knife then continued walking. 
He calmly approached a student sitting at a picnic table near the Gregory Gym and stabbed him in the back of the head. Oh, my God. After wounding him, White walked up to two other students and stabbed them, too. Then, White entered the Jester dorm on the UT campus. He approached other students, but fortunately didn't have time to attack them. As White was attacking students, witnesses immediately began calling 911. Police arrived, according to them, within two minutes of the call coming into dispatch, which had them on the scene by 1.50 p.m. Police quickly located White, who was still holding his Bowie knife. Shouting students pointed him out as they ran away, crying, It's him! Officers say that White was walking away from his victim, holding that bloody knife, and they confronted him with weapons drawn and took him into custody without further incident. Although, I should note that some students dispute this version of events, In posts on social media, they alleged that there was actually a 30-minute gap between when the students first reacted to the crime and when police arrived. However, it is notable that White texted his mom at 1.45 and the police say that they arrived at 1.50. So there's not a big gap there considering that the text went out before the stabbing according to the timeline provided by authorities. Yeah. While first responders rushed three of the victims to the hospital, Harrison Brown died at the scene. Moments before, he'd called his mother to tell her that he loved her, and he was just walking across campus on his way to the gym. That's so sad. It is extremely sad. After the attack, authorities asked students to avoid the area while they investigated. However, they stated that there was no threat to students any longer. White's other victims included Stuart Bayless, Jonathan Hahn, and Eli Kahan. Jonathan Hahn was the man sitting at the picnic table eating lunch as he studied. He says he didn't even realize that he'd been stabbed in the back of the head until he heard a girl scream and saw his blood pouring out. Wow. He required staples to the back of his head, and he attended therapy to overcome the effects of the crime. I imagine you would need some therapy after that. I mean, it's a miracle he survived. Mm-hmm. When he told me he got stabbed in the back of the head, I assumed that he had you know, passed away. Uh, Because, I mean, that's just, that sounds like a really horrific injury. Yeah, it does. But he he did manage to survive. That's good. Stuart Bayless also received a stab in his back. The stab wound actually, like, sliced through his lumbar artery in his back, as well as seven out of eight tendons in his hand. Oh. And so he needed multiple surgeries on his back and his right hand to repair these injuries. And because of the injuries, he struggled in his classes And he actually lost his chance to be an officer candidate in the school's ROTC, which is something that he was in progress of becoming. And in addition to losing that opportunity, Bayless also says that he struggled with survivor's guilt after this crime. Yeah, I mean, I can understand why, but I mean, that's really, that's a tough thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, that really sucks for him, obviously. Both of those things do. Certainly. And the third surviving victim, Eli Kahan, has been more private about his experiences. When UT police questioned White, he was totally calm. Officers described his affect as flat since he showed no emotions. Alarmingly, White told police that he was Jesus Christ, and he kept flashing peace signs at them. That's strange behavior. It's very strange. Before I tell you about Kendrick's White's strange behavior, I want to tell you some about Harrison Brown, who is the man who died. 
Yeah. Freshman student Harrison Brown came to UT after graduating from Graham High School in Graham, Texas in 2016. The city of Graham is about a four and a half hour drive from Austin, so he was getting his first taste of independence. Harrison hadn't yet selected his major, but he had a lot of time to decide. After all, this was his first year of college. He was thinking maybe liberal arts or perhaps economics. A talented musician, Harrison was one of three children born to Lori and Kurt Brown, along with sister Allie and brother John. His family described him as a kind, happy, and compassionate person. Since he was a wonderful singer, Harrison had just joined the UT acapella group Ransom Notes, which is a fun name for an acapella group if we're being honest with ourselves. Yeah, that's a really cool name. So let's talk about who 21-year-old Kendrick's white was. White grew up in Killeen, Texas, which is less than a two-hour drive from Austin. His mother, Shatina White, and his father were both very involved in his life, and so they often made the trip to visit their son in college. White attended UT's College of Natural Science as a biology major, and he hoped to be a cardiologist. He was very active on campus because he liked to volunteer for organizations. He was a member of one organization for black medical professionals, and that's not the official name of it, but since he was going to be a cardiologist, he wanted to be a part of that. Yeah. He also even worked with a community service organization called Real Role Models that sought to improve the community by mentoring people. That's really nice. And a fellow volunteer for the group told the Dallas Morning News that White never seemed sad or upset. And he attended all of the group's meetings as a dedicated volunteer. Another classmate also described him as, quote, the nicest guy, unquote. And so people were asking, what could possibly have caused Kendricks to snap and do something like this? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering as well. About a month before the stabbings, Kendricks suddenly stopped attending his Spanish class. Since he was so studious, this behavior was totally unlike him, and his friends took notice immediately. They were taking this class together, and he had a really hard course load as a pre-med student. So to have him just suddenly not come to this class was just weird. Yeah. Like, he was always studying and always trying to get good grades. And so after an entire month of him missing Spanish, he suddenly returned. And this was shortly before the stabbing incident. When people asked him where he was, he told a few of his classmates that he'd been out of school recovering from a car accident caused by a seizure. However, this was kind of a lie, because White had actually been driving under the influence when his accident happened. Oh, wow. Yeah. And as a result of that incident, he had been in treatment. In addition to missing class, Kendricks also seemed zoned out and unresponsive, and he sometimes seemed totally unaware of his friends. And later, they described incidences where they had gone to lunch with him, and he would be not paying attention to anyone, just essentially staring off into space. And then when he was done, he would just get up and leave without saying anything to anyone and pretty much act like he didn't even see them sitting there, which was really weird behavior for them. And you have to remember, he's been at college for three years. And so people who he knew there knew him well. So all of a sudden, he's acting different, and people are taking notice of it. About 10 days after the stabbing, the community learned a little bit more about what was going on with Kendricks. Because White actually spoke with reporters from KPRC2 News, who interviewed him while he sat in the Travis County Jail. And this interview was actually really controversial. 
And part of the reason why is because later we would all learn that Kendris was having some pretty severe mental health issues. And as a result of that, his family pointed out that this interviewer was essentially violating his right to remain silent because he didn't have the mental wherewithal at that time to make a judgment about whether or not he should talk to a reporter to be on the news because with these statements going out there, not only can the police use them, I mean, they have video of him saying stuff, but it'll be broadcast the entire community. So it can really color how the case is perceived. And so they looked at it like you violated his right because he didn't have the ability to consent to this interview because he has mental health problems. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And he was in a psychiatric unit, but this is what he said. He said that he remembers walking around campus that day with his Bowie knife. And he says that no one was paying any attention to him, even though he had the knife. And he sort of takes the knife out, but he still just totally felt invisible, like nothing was real. Like, he felt like he was holding a knife up and people were just talking and, like, nobody was looking at him at all. And so, in his version of events, he says he struck a table with the knife and still no one acknowledged him. And he says that his memory is very splotchy. He actually doesn't remember stabbing anyone. He just remembers nobody paying attention to him and that he was basically in like a dream, that nothing was real. That's odd. And no one could see him. Yeah. That was his experience of the incident. When asked why he had the knife, White says that he purchased the knife a few days before for self-protection. And he told UT police officers that he first carried the knife that day. At the time, UT actually allowed students to carry guns on campus for protection and several of his friends had guns and so kendrick's like rationalized that if his friends had guns to be safe he needed something to be safe and so he got the bowie knife according to him that's what happened right which can we just take a moment (laughs) to talk about the fact that they had guns all over this campus Mm -hmm. like what is going on with that Seems very safe, doesn't it? Yeah, I know that Texas passed another law. Apparently, they had just passed a law right before this that you could have guns everywhere. Yeah, the open the, carry. Well, thing. this is like the the first part of that. Like, I think this was actually concealed carry that you could have anywhere, and now we have open carry anywhere. But campuses, I'm pretty sure, are left off of that now. So maybe they changed this law later. That'd be uh, nice. Yeah, but I mean, you can open carry pretty much anywhere unless somebody tells you not to. And I think that. I think that college campuses are not supposed to have open carry, if I'm not mistaken. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. I think that would be a good decision to not have open carry on a college campus. Yeah. I mean, especially considering how many incidents there have been, you know, over Mm -hmm. the years, you know, I mean. Yeah, it's weird. It's wild, y'all. I don't know. This is... We are from Texas, and everyone, like, most of the people we know, I would say, have guns. The vast majority, I feel like. Probably, yeah. Yeah, like, it's pretty, there's a lot of guns here. 
And so it's pretty normalized. Like I, as a child, I had a, my own personal gun. So like, I'm like very used to that. But at the same time, like there's like some wild choices. It's like, not that we, we don't disagree with guns here at Bad Axe. No. We just, we do think there should be restrictions and better choices should be made with guns. And like certain things should be limited because it's for safety reasons. Yeah. And it's background checks are important to be done. Oh yeah. And so, yeah, but I don't think that having a bunch of guns on on campus is a good idea. Also, we had an incident where I used to live where a guy who owned, like, a tactical store where he sold, like, a lot of, I'm not sure what word I want to use here, like, accessory type things, like, lifestyle items, I would say, for people who are, like, really excited about guns and, like, gun-related things. And he was in a mall, and he decided that he would open carry his rifle because you could carry rifles around most places in Texas, even before the open carry law. He decided he was going to carry his ginormous, like, fancy rifle. Not like, a, not like a hunting rifle. It was like some sort of, like, tactical rifle on his back at the mall. And as you can imagine, people lost their absolute minds. Like, everyone was running and screaming and they called the police and the police showed up. And he's just, like, shopping with this gun and then he made a whole diva fit in the news about how he was being oppressed and he moved his store out of the mall because the mall told him he couldn't have guns anymore and they had to put up signs being like don't bring guns in here and then he's like how are we going to save ourselves from from thieves and stuff and they were like we didn't have to have the sign until you brought the big ass gun inside i know right like people were cowering and fleeing and screaming anyway uh that's not completely related to this <laughs> except to say that i don't know why people are like I feel like people feel safer when they have the gun, but it's not just you that gets to have it. That's right. It's everyone. You have to remember that yep. it's not just you. It's everybody gets to have them. Yep, that's right. So now we're all in a standoff. Yeah, it's, it's the like, wild west. Yeah, it's like yeah. the it's like the ultimate Mexican standoff where it's all all of us. Yes, literally the entire state <laughs> of yeah. Texas and just in a standoff with all of our guns pointed at each other because nobody knows who's like the bad guy anymore because we all are carrying them around. Anyway. That is what was happening with his friends. And so Kendrick's wife decided that he needed a knife to try to fight off all these guns. Right. I don't think that was going to work. Bringing a a knife to a gunfight? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a big knife, but still not a great plan. Yeah. Immediately after the crimes, rumors swarmed the UT campus with students saying that the stabbing may have been part of a vendetta against a fraternity. Oh, really? Yes. And so the police did investigate this, but they actually said it had nothing to do with with a vendetta. The stabbings were totally random, and they were able to confirm that nobody who was stabbed had anything on that could possibly have been a signal to, to Kendrick's of, like, a fraternity or any other thing that he might have been targeting. Right. Like, there was no way. There was also some rumors that it could be race-based, but police were also able to rule that out as well. In July 2017, the grand jury indicted White on account of first-degree murder for stabbing Harrison Brown and three counts of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon for attacking the three other men. But White never went to court because, in what I would say is very rare for our state, both the state of Texas and the defense-appointed mental health experts evaluated Kendrick's White and both the state and the defense experts determined that he was mentally unwell. The state selected Dr. Maureen Burroughs, 
and Burroughs diagnosed White with schizoaffective disorder, and the defense expert Dr. John Fabian agreed. Burroughs also says that White suffers from bipolar disorder. They made this diagnosis based on the fact that White experiences both visual and auditory hallucinations, including hearing voices. These voices told them that he wasn't worthy of being alive. Among his delusions, he believed at some times that he was Jesus Christ, which is why he kept telling the police that. And he had told other people this. Several students at school that went to school with him told the police later that he did tell them that he was Jesus Christ. And at one point, one of those students was like, hey, man, like, have you thought about therapy? Yeah. Like, trying to direct him towards the therapy. And he says that Kendrick seemed open to it and was like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And so, but he, he doesn't completely end up going. Like he does, but it's involuntary, involuntarily at one point. Right. So he was telling people he was Jesus. He also believed at times that he was being buried alive. Oh shit. Yeah. So he was having this delusion that he was being buried alive. That's scary. Yeah. And, People said that he still seemed really nice and nobody really thought that he would do anything harmful because of him being nice. Yeah. Furthermore, Dr. Burroughs concluded that White didn't realize what he was doing was wrong at the time of the stabbings and he had no history of violence and didn't know any of the victims. And so there wasn't really a motive. And even as all of the the witnesses described, as he stabbed the victims, he strolled around calmly And he didn't really seem to be making any effort to flee or hide what he did. He wasn't really reacting to it. Because if you recall, when our first witness, Rachel, saw him walking from one victim to another, like, he was just holding a knife, kind of calmly walking, and then just attacking someone. That's crazy. Yeah, it wasn't like a frenzy or like he was having any kind of involvement in it, if that makes any sense. It sounds like he's out of it, yeah. Yeah. Um, So they didn't have a motive. He was just being calm. He didn't make any effort to hide, flee, or lie, or get rid of the knife, or anything. He just seemed to have no awareness of the real world, and he believed that everything he was doing was unreal. And if you recall, he had said that he felt like nobody was able, like he was separate from everyone, where nobody was even reacting to him. And so it was almost like he was in this dream state where he was acting out something else than what was happening. Right. And it just so happened that because he was swinging a knife around, he was attacking people. Yeah, yeah. Which is obviously a problem, but is also, you know, he's mentally, he's not well. Dr. Burroughs determined that stressors from trying to be a good college student had caused White to have a psychotic break due to his schizoaffective disorder. And so essentially, he had had these disorders the entire time the bipolar, and the schizoaffective disorder, and they were emerging because some of these disorders emerge when you enter your early 20s. So these were like emerging disorders. He's a 21-year-old man. And the stress, the incredible stress that he felt trying to be pre-med and do all these volunteer work and do all these things for the community made him crack, and he had a complete psychotic break. She believes that this break actually happened about a month before the stabbings when White got caught driving while intoxicated because he started acting really weird around that time. And his mother, Shatina White, took notice. At first, Shatina says that she thought White was just really tired from being sleep-deprived. I mean, a lot of college students, I know that I did, you don't really sleep a lot. I mean, between trying to go to class, trying to work, trying to do all your organizations, trying to have friends, trying to date people, you quickly run out of time. Yeah. 
and you don't really sleep. So she was thinking maybe he was just sleep deprived. However, she quickly realized that something serious was wrong. And she took White to the Metroplex Hospital in Killeen, Texas, which is where his family lives. She tried everything to get him help. Doctors actually kept White in the hospital for nine days where they treated him for his mental health issues. They gave him medication and he seemed to improve. And so they released him after nine days. Right. This was considered an involuntary commitment because obviously he wasn't like, yay, hospital time. But the medical staff thought, okay, this person's clearly having some problems. We need to keep him here. Right. White was able to return to college after his stint in the hospital, but he wasn't exactly back to his old self. Not long after he got back to UT, his mother received alarming texts from him that suggested he might be suicidal. Oh, no. So, Shatina immediately called the Austin Police Department to have them do a wellness check, and officers took him to the University Medical Center, Brackenridge, but the hospital sent him home in, a, in, home in a cab soon after. They determined that he was just a stressed out college student. So maybe do better, University Medical Center, Brackenridge. Yeah. Because you were really wrong. Yeah, you were way off of the mark. Yeah, on that he one. was not just a stressed out college student. He was having some problems. It's weird to me that someone could like send suicidal texts and then immediately be sent home. Yeah. I mean, that's wild. You would think but, so, right? Okay. Yeah. So he did get sent home, though. During his medical, his mental health evaluation after the stabbing, Dr. Burroughs and the defense expert confirmed that White was not using drugs at any point during this that would cause these symptoms. And so because they could confirm that drugs didn't cause the symptoms, that means that this was a mental illness. Right. Since his diagnosis, White has been taking his medication Though it can't totally relieve his symptoms. It actually also made him gain a lot of weight. And so they were saying, the doctors were saying that that's one of the problems with this medication is a lot of people don't want to keep taking it because it makes you gain so much weight. And so as a result of that, it's hard sometimes to keep people accountable. And plus it still doesn't relieve all their symptoms. Yeah. He doesn't remember the stabbing according to him. Though he does understand what he did and believes he committed the crime. While he was going through these evaluation scenarios and Dr. Burroughs and the other psychologists were talking to him, he actually announced that he believes he should burn in hell for what he did, Aww. even though he doesn't remember it. That's really sad. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. he, he hurt people and that's terrible. But yeah. like, I mean, in a situation where you're having mental health episodes, I mean, yeah. it, it's, it, that's just a tough thing, you know? It sounds like this incident goes against his core values. Well, and sure, as a result, I mean. he's having this reaction to it. Not everyone is like poor Kendricks because he did murder someone. But at the same time, we have more than one medical professional who agree on a diagnosis. And the people who have worked with him seem to corroborate all this. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, and to be fair, I Mm -hmm. I wasn't trying to like throw a pity party for the guy. It's hard though. I feel like this is the person that you kind of want to. It's very difficult because what happened to Kendricks White is... A frightening situation. Yeah. And as someone who has mental health issues, it's extremely frightening to think that you could have a psychotic episode and do something like this. And I think a lot of people believe that they they can't ever do something that's against who they are. It's like like they think it's like hypnosis where there's always that saying that when you're hypnotized, the person can't make you do anything that you wouldn't want to do. Right. Which is kind of true in a way because... Like, I know I, don't, I know a lot of us had 
the senior thingy. What's it called? The senior night after graduation, project graduation, where they have a party for all the seniors so you don't go get drunk and go crazy. Yeah. Ours had a, a hypnotist like every year. And when they did the hypnotization, one of the thing, prompts that he did was that they got pulled over in a car and they had to react to it. And so some people were like swearing and some people were crying and different reactions. And then they were like, okay, the police officer's walking away and he can't see you. What do you do? And most people flipped off the police officer. And one person waved like and smiled and waved goodbye. And so, which was extra funny because it's like that's her personality is that even though the police officer was imaginary and could not see her, she still waved and smiled and said goodbye, even though he just gave her a ticket. Yeah. So I so like that's the whole thing they always say about hypnotization. Hypnotization. Apparently, I cannot say that word today. Is that you wouldn't do something that you wouldn't normally do that your consciousness wouldn't allow you to do. Right. But I, it's not like that with with mental health situations. I mean, we see all the time when people are having psychotic breaks when they think someone is like a demon or some nonsense, and they're like. Oh, I got to save mom from the demon. Time to stabby stab. Right. It happens. Now, some people lie about it, as we have also seen. Yes, we have. People love to lie about that. It's their favorite thing to do. But it does It does happen. And I think that just based on what these doctors have determined, unfortunately, that's what happened to Kendrick's. And it's incredibly depressing because we have four stabbing victims that have had the worst day of their lives and one of whom has died and his family has lost someone and... I did not tell you this yet because it's not really part of the core story, but Harrison's father also passed away the next month, I believe it was. Oh, my God. He had a long-term medical condition. And so his poor family, I can't imagine what they were dealing with going yeah. through these both of these major losses, just horrific losses to his family that should never have happened, especially though Harrison, just at college, just not even doing anything. Like, not even doing bad is what I mean. Like, he was he was obviously, like, succeeding at life. But you know what I mean. Right, yeah. And these other these other three men who were just innocently, you know, eating lunch and studying and talking to friends and stuff are attacked. And then, plus all the people who witnessed this attack who are going to have to deal with this the rest of their life having seen this. It's obviously incredibly traumatic. And you almost, you want to hate the person who did it. But in this case, you really can't because it's almost like Kendrick's White is also a victim of it. Yeah, exactly. It's like a horror movie. Like, you know, like one of those supernatural movies where something takes over your body. That's kind of how mental illness is sometimes. And it sounds like that's what this experience was like for him. You know, the medical experts all agreed on it. Because of these diagnoses, prosecutor Bill Bishop actually offered a plea agreement. And instead of going to trial, the prosecution actually offered a plea deal to allow Kendrick's white to plead not guilty by reason of insanity. That's good. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's it's really good that they were willing to, to do that and to kind of cooperate and realize the situation that was going on. You know, I think that's, it's really nice to see that, you know? Yeah, especially in Texas. I honestly think that based on just that offer that the reports must have been incredibly detailed about what he was experiencing and that there must have been a lot of corroborating information from the people who work like at the prison and stuff. He was in the psychiatric unit that whole time, like in the county jail. But this is Texas and we do have a, a history of not caring about mental health statuses and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, they have literally executed people who were either legally, mentally, developmentally dis disabled, essentially, yeah. or 
who had mental illnesses yep. or who were obviously probably innocent and yet they still went through with it. That's true. And so I was like, wow, impressed and also like, I, yeah, it made me somewhat happy and also kind of shocked that they actually offered this plea deal just because of the fact that I wasn't expecting it to happen. Yeah, I, I wasn't either, but I mean, it's, it's, it's a nice twist. Yeah. Now, because even though they had the plea deal, normally they would just have him give a statement or something. But the prosecution decided and made an, they made an agreement with the defense that despite having the plea deal, they were still going to have witnesses testify what they, about what they experienced that day. And they allowed victim impact statements as well. And part of the goal for this is that they wanted to walk through what happened partially so that people could understand the plea. Because... All, you know, obviously people want justice for Harrison who was murdered and they want justice for the three men who were stabbed and they want justice for the people who watched this happen. But what is justice in this situation? And so they walked through this and had people testify and walk through the evidence to show, yes, he was mentally ill on the day of the murder. And still to yeah. this day, he is currently still mentally ill. Yeah. District judge Tamar Needles accepted the plea and assigned White to a hospital that same day. The judge sent White to a maximum security forensic hospital called North Texas State Hospital, and he's going to the Vernon campus where he'll undergo treatment for his mental health issues. In the future, White can only be released if he's deemed to not be a danger to himself or others. His defense attorney, Jana Ortega, told a reporter from the Dallas Morning News that experts don't expect White to get out of the hospital anytime soon which is partially what people who are supporting the victims are worried about, is they're almost worried that this could be a get-out-of-jail-free card because here he has committed a murder and attacked these three other men, and yet he's considered not guilty by reason of insanity. So anytime they decide that he's mentally healthy, it's possible for him to get out. Yeah. However, Dr. Burroughs says that it's possible that White may never get released because his symptoms are so serious for his schizoaffective disorder that it'll be difficult to treat, and it's also not curable. So she doesn't really think there's a high likelihood that he'll get approved for release, at least not anytime soon. And in order to be eligible for release, he'll actually have to go up before Judge Needles. So it's not like if the doctor says he's okay, he just gets to walk out. The judge has to approve it, and he only gets like one visit a year at a certain point. So it's not like he can just constantly ask for release or anything like that. Right. Also, his attorney, Jenna Ortega, also said that he's very remorseful for what happened and he's he's very sad about it. Hey, what's up, you guys? I'm Catherine. And I'm Haley. And we are Saturdays Are for the Ghouls, a podcast on the Podmoth Network. We cover all things spooky, like horror movies, true crime, the supernatural, and spooky stories. In the most chaotic way possible. So join your favorite ghoul friends every Saturday, wherever you listen to podcasts. And become a spooky babe! (laughs) So spooky babes, we'll see you in your nightmares! At the sentencing, Shatina White, who is his mother, gave a heartbreaking statement to the victims and their families. She said, in part, quote, I would like to say I'm extremely sorry to all the families. I have no idea how you feel, but my family is extremely sorry if any of you could have known my son before this. This is not him. 
I have been kicking myself trying to figure out what signs I missed when I missed them, unquote. But I also wanted to add personally that I think that she did everything she could do. I mean, she took him to the hospital when she realized something was wrong. Yeah. And then she also called the police. And I didn't mention this, but it might have been obvious from him being in a black student organization. But Kendrick's white is black in Texas. And she still called the police to go do a wellness check on him. Yeah. Which, I mean, as we know from the entirety of the news, is kind of risky. Yeah, it is. And so, I really think she did every single thing possible to help him. Yeah, it definitely sounded like she did. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I mean to her credit, I mean, to her point, I don't know what else she could have really done. Yeah, I don't, sometimes I you mean, just can't do anything. Yeah, I mean, you, you really can't. Harrison Brown's family also made statements about their loss. His mother, Lori, hopes that White won't be able to hurt anyone else. And you could tell from her statements that she's very upset about what happened. While Harrison's brother, John, said that his brother would have forgiven White. Obviously, um, he wasn't like, yay. I kind of edited their statements because I'm not sure how they feel at this time. Because at the trial, all this was really raw. And they were very, very angry because they lost their loved one. Yeah, of course. And so, but the focus was that Harrison would have forgiven him and that they really would like for him to stay in there. Because they don't want him to be able to hurt anybody else. Yeah, and I think that's a reasonable thing from, mm-hmm. you know, especially coming from the victims. I think that's yeah. a very reasonable point of view. I feel like if I had to give that statement, it would have been crazy. If we if we all remember, like, my mom died of natural causes just recently, and I'm still mad at the guy at the hospital who lied to me and told me that she might get better, even though that was not possible at the time he told me that. And I still hate Hank. So I feel like if they had, like, a little meeting about Hank, I would be there to just crap all over Hank and for all I know he's a great guy who does lots of cool nurse stuff I don't know maybe he sings to kids that are sick or something but like for, for to me I'm like screw yeah. you Hank <laughs> yeah exactly for us he's a villain yeah no matter he's what a else full he's villain yeah. I'm still mad about it and yeah so that's obviously not the exact same thing I'm not trying to equate these these situations because obviously Hank is not a murderer but I can definitely see why you would be like, screw that guy. Because yeah. he took away your loved one. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's like, it's totally unfair that you lost them. At the same time, there are also some members of Brown's family who wanted White to go to prison for the crime. And were like, screw the hospital, off to jail for you. And I think it was his grandmother actually was like, if he does get healthy, then they should put him in jail then. <laughs> and I was like, she's really determined. Which I totally get. Again, I would probably say the same thing. Sadly, as I said before, the Brown family also lost Harrison's father a month after the murder. And again, he passed from a long-term medical condition. They said that Brown had, Harrison Brown had actually been planning to go home to care for his dad. And I, can't, I have to imagine that losing your son like that probably hastened his passing. Probably, yeah. Yeah, because I, mean, the, I feel like you have less of a fight inside of you. Yeah, that grief has to be over, overwhelming, mm-hmm. especially when you're already dealing with like a really bad illness. I mean, yeah. I could see that. So I feel like it was just extra traumatic for them. And that's just, I don't even have words. It's just really sad and it's horrible. And like part of you wants to be like, I hope things got better for them. But at the same time, like those are kind of empty words. Like I mean them, but you know how it is. Yeah. At the trial, both Bayless and Han, these are the other two victims or two of the three, I should say, testified about how the wounds affected their lives as well as their survivor's guilt. Several members of the UT community, including Bayless, have complained, however, to members of the media about the handling of this attack and other attacks that have happened on the campus. 
they say that there's a lack of leadership at UT and not enough is being done. Now, Aaron, as an Aggie, I believe you are contractually <laughs> obligated to hate UT. <laughs> I had to bring it up. So do you believe that the UT leadership has failed to help these students? I am going to go out on a limb and say they probably have, both because, as you said, I am an Aggie and I am obligated uh, to say so. But in general, it's very common for leadership of you know, <laughs> of big organizations to not do enough in general. So I feel like it's a safe bet. Like if you're, if you're betting on did they do enough or did they not, in general, the answer is probably no. It's probably no. It's they probably didn't do a enough. big no. Yeah. Well, no one from UT leadership even attended the trial, which made them upset. Yeah, I (laughs) know. And they were like, well, that doesn't reflect our feelings toward this issue. And it's like, um, it kind of does, though. Yeah, your actions speak louder than your words do. Yeah. Y'all couldn't have at least sent, like, a secretary or something to come up there and take notes for you or something. Right, yeah. Do photo ops, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, make a token Make appearance. a statement, like I mean, victim's impact statements about how this has affected the community as a whole or something. Right. There's a lot of options. Yeah, and they, they, like, university's got a lot of bureaucrats. You can find, like, a, you know, somebody. A yeah, exactly. Like, you don't yeah. have to send the president of the university. It can be... A board member or right. a dean or yeah. someone who runs the gym because that was where it was. I, oh, I wasn't right. being facetious. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, like, someone who's, like, in charge of something. Y'all could have mm-hmm. sent somebody. yeah. To, to be a representative. And they didn't. And so this was really hurtful to the people involved because they're like, this was a tragic moment. And this part of the reason why they were so upset is this kind of exciting moment that's terrible. I shouldn't say exciting. Horrific is a better word. Yeah. Because this was actually the second murder in like a year period. Wow. Well, actually, technically it's a little over a year, like 13 months. Because in April 2016, which is about a year and one month before... Uh, before this incident happened, before Kendrick's White attacked the other four students and killed Harrison Brown, a freshman dance student named Haruka Weiser actually died after being stabbed by an unhoused teenager who then tossed her into a creek that runs behind the same gym, the Gregory gym, the exact same gym, at the center of White's crime scene. And so, like, literally 13 months before this, another stabbing had occurred and another student had died. That's crazy. I know, right? And so both of these happened on UT campus and they're like, literally, what have you done to stop the stabbings? Like, I don't know what you can do to prevent all stabbings. I mean, maybe they could call Greg Abbott because he has announced on his <laughs> before that. Oh, I, I brought it up again, didn't I? Anyway, he said he was going to stop all rapes. I'm not wrong about that. That's on videotape. He did say and that. And yes. so that is his word. So maybe they can ask him about how to do the stabbings. Yeah. Since apparently he has the answers to all crimes. Right. Anyway, so like, but seriously, like, I mean, this is literally the same location, like, um, that's crazy. That's a red flag. Yeah. Exactly. And it doesn't seem like that was planned by Kendrick's White based on the investigation. Yeah. But, I mean, is this gem haunted? Like, I don't know. But UT was like, well, I mean, it had been so long since the last crime. It just happened to be two in a row. And I'm like, I don't know if that's a defense, though. I don't it's not. like. I personally wouldn't feel safe up there. No. That sounds scary. Yeah, I'd be like, maybe I'm not going to go around the gym for a while. Yeah, for realsies. Like, people should feel confident in your ability to not have stabbings. I don't, yeah. Like, I mean, I feel like I'm making light of it, but I'm not meaning to because at this point we have two deceased people and three seriously injured people and a bunch of traumatized individuals. And it's just horrific. Yes, but it is. UT should probably do something about that. 
Yep. Right? Okay, that was my opinion about that. Also, I have queued up that case possibly for a later episode because I feel like we almost need to do it. I might do it on the Patreon since, like, they kind of are partners. Yeah. Or maybe we'll do it next week. We'll find out. We'll see. It's going to be a surprise. But I feel like we need to do that one now. Although maybe it's not as complicated. And I kind of already told you the spoilers about what happened. But it was, like, one sentence. I think it'll still be details. Absolutely. I personally want to know more about what happened. I only read, like, the bare, like, bare bones of what happened to this student. Haruka, and I really want to know, how did this happen? It's sad. It also sounds like this is going to be a really sad situation because why doesn't this teenager have a home? That's like, a good question. Like, what is he doing out there? Good question. I'm wondering if he's, like, an adult teenager, like, 18 or 19, which is still sad, but, like, slightly less sad, yeah. or if he's a teen teen. I don't know. Because that's that's disturbing, and I feel like we need to know more information. But anyway... This is the tragic stabbing death of Harrison Brown and the tragic stabbings of the three other UT students and the sad meltdown of a promising pre-med student who was seemed to be have everything together. He was doing all these nice things for other people and then this happens. I know. It's, it's really it's tragic. It's really tragic. Yeah. It's tragic and all around. Like we lost multiple goodnesses. Yeah. And also that one guy, Bayless I think his last name is, Lost his ability to be in the the ROTC uh, officer thing. Yeah. Which is not cool. Like, he was going to do stuff with that. Yes, he was. It might have really affected his life, Stuart Bayless, which is sad. Yeah. And Jonathan Hahn had to go to therapy for, like, ever, uh, which is I horrible. imagine you did, yeah. And I just, I don't know, I just thought this whole thing was sad. It's very sad. Anyway, let us know what you think. I'm going to post about this on Instagram. So you can follow us at Pod. And comment there if you would like to comment. You can also follow us on other social medias. We have, we're at Bad Axe Pod on everything. We are on Twitter. I sometimes tweet. Uh, we are on Facebook. We have a little Facebook page. It's not as, as popular as the other ones, but I do post on it sometimes. We have our Instagram, which I post there frequently again. We have TikTok. I'm going to make some more videos this week. It's happening. But we have some up there. I personally, my favorite one is the Jack the Ripper video. And it's and for those of you who haven't heard me talk about it before, it's not actual theories. It's the best, craziest theories that people have actually suggested. Yeah. Including one where a seance revealed the killer, which is just wild. And yeah. like, so just, it's just fun. Yeah. I mean, if you can have fun in a tor- horrible case. It's when there's a seance involved. Yeah. So there's that's happening. And then you can also email us at badaxpod at gmail.com. I will look at that email and hopefully remember to respond to it. I do have a spotty reputation with thinking that I responded to emails that I did not respond to. But I try really hard. So you should totally email me there. And also you can go to our website. Aaron, would you like to tell them about the website? I would. We have a great website. It's badaxpod.com. I'm not going to overhype it. Okay. Danielle's giving me a look. <laughs> It is a good website. Go check it out. You'll really like it. I did post a blog post about our first case that has like more details in it. And it's more like kind of us, if that makes any sense. So I'm trying to do one for each episode and then add in some like more bloggy stuff. Like ideally, I would like to have like a thriving blog over there. So look for that. But you can always read the first one. It's up there. And there's a picture of the guy that was murdered to be turned into a vampire based on his friend's lies. And also there's pictures of us on there now too. There's just two. There's like one of each of us because I thought it'd be weird. I'm not, I mean, maybe eventually we'll have more pictures, but it's not like about us. 
So I don't know if you need like a whole album <laughs> of like pictures of us. I kind of want to have one of those photo shoots that everyone always has where they like do stuff. But I worry that like when I see other people do stuff like pose in a graveyard for this, I have posed in a graveyard before, if I'm being honest, but mostly because the New Orleans graveyards are really cool. But when I see other people going into a graveyard to, to pose, I'm like, oh, that's a really cool photo shoot. But I feel like if I were trying to do it for myself, I'd feel really bad about it. So maybe we won't do that. Maybe we'll do something that won't make me feel bad about myself. So we'll see. But anyway, I thought that would be cool. And we're just really excited that you listened to this today. Absolutely, we are. And have been so supportive during my time of grief and whatnot. Hopefully, all of you have a terrific week. And stay safe and have fun. It's May. So, yay. Yay. Yay for May. Yesterday was May 4th. So, may the 4th be with you still. Yes, absolutely. Ha, 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 ha. All right, well, we will let you go because this is just starting out to be weird. (laughs) We will be back next week with another case. Maybe Haruka's case, we'll have to find out. And other than that, bye-bye. Bye.